Welcome to the Lacey School of Business podcast channel. On today's episode, we'll hear from John Lofton, President and COO of MJ Insurance on corporate culture in a pandemic. Here to introduce John and moderate our discussion is Graham Honecker, Executive Director of Principal Gifts at Butler University. He joined uh, MJ Insurance in 2004 as Chief Operating Officer and assumed the role of President in 2006. He's responsible for setting the vision and strategic direction for the firm and oversight of the day-to-day execution uh, while ensuring profitable growth. Uh, During his tenure, John has developed and implemented strategic business plans leading to substantial revenue, profit growth for the company. He continually concentrates on shaping a business environment where growth and development flourish. This was one of the areas we'll hit on, but he brings core values to life at all levels of MJ by championing process and improvement through driving change, accountability, and excellence. Uh, He considers MJ's greatest asset to be their people, uh, and he ensures all team members understand MJ's purpose, passion, and how their role influences the success of the company. He's got a, we'll forgive him, he's got an undergraduate degree from IU, but he's got his MBA from Butler, and I would say sincerely, he is one of the best leaders I've come across in my my role here at Butler, but also probably one of the most engaged moms we have in terms of doing so many things across the board, um, shepherding what's become a tremendous partnership between the Lacey School of Business and our Davy Insurance Program with MJ, which John, I don't think we could have imagined would have taken off like it did and, and the attention that it brought. He served on multiple boards. MJ has hired numerous students for internships and jobs. Uh, He's served on panels in terms of professional development for our students, referrals, advisor, and again, just a tremendous leader and and representative Butler. So John, welcome. We really appreciate you um, joining our group today. And um, you know, the, the topic that we've presented, we've been doing brown bag topics that relate to things that will help us as an advancement division. But today we're going to talk about corporate culture in the age of the pandemic. And even before all of this hit, I, I've admired what you all have done with your corporate culture. I think our first meeting we spent mainly talking about that. That was years back, but what you all do to, to motivate, inspire, recharge your employees. So I think the first question I'm going to throw out there is just your philosophy as a leader and President at MJ, let's put the pandemic aside from now, but your philosophy on building corporate culture at MJ Insurance. Yeah, Graham, thanks before I get into that. Thanks for the for the nice comments. I'm undeserving of those, to be quite honest with you. But um, as you said, I went to Indiana University, um, had a great four plus years. We'll, we'll leave the plus part out. Um, my parents are no longer with us, so they I, I, I'm more... Um, transparent about what that plus year was really all about these days. But nonetheless, um, um, went, got into the industry and worked for about 10 years and decided I need to, needed a, a more education. I won't say better education, but more education. I had some opportunities in different schools that I looked at, but I decided Butler was, was right for me um, at the time. Little to, did I know that I would, would fall in love with the university. And I, and I mean that sincerely. And and I think and on the tip of culture, that's what I fell in love with. 
You know, I um, grew up the son of a football coach, so athletics is a very important part of our lives still to this day. Um, but uh, I had heard of the Butler Way, and it, it, Butler Way, and I graduated in 04. The Butler Way wasn't the Butler Way as it is today, uh, but certainly the common threads of that were apparent. So I, I'll be honest with you, some of the things that we take away is just general observations that I've had from encounters with people like yourself, um, people on this, on this call today, uh, Dean Standiford, um, professors, uh, and from afar, you know, coaches, you know, following the likes of Brad Stevens, et cetera. A lot of what I think about is what Butler has demonstrated for years and years and years. So nothing that we have is necessarily novel. It's just intentional. I think is, is what I would say about culture is, is we lead with it and we truly mean it. We hire, we fire, we promote, we demote based on our values and our, and our, and our purpose. Uh, so we're now, my gosh, 57th fiscal year. We just started on 9-1. Our founder um, by the name, a guy by the name of Michael M. Bill, who's a significant benefactor today for Butler. And I think the interesting story there is he too fell in love with the university from a cultural perspective. He's, he's a lifetime board of, on the board of trustees at Syracuse University. The locker room is named after him. So it's not insignificant that he's also in love with Butler. I mean, I, I never thought I'd see the day, no disrespect to Butler, but I never thought I'd see the day that he doesn't brag about uh, a school other than the Orange. Um, and he brags uh, nonstop about Butler. And I, when I watched that, I, I, I watched that kind of in awe because of the foundation he laid from a cultural perspective. We have a purpose statement that says we exist to inspire the success, fulfillment, and well-being of each person that we serve. You don't see anything in there about insurance and risk management. It, it, and we're the people business that just happens to, happens to pay the bills by virtue of insurance and risk management, which we also love. But those constituents that we serve, we start with our employees and then their families and then our clients. And we tell our clients that. I mean, there, some people will say, oh, you can't do that because you got to put the client first. Well, we would argue that we're in service business. We're not manufacturing a widget or a piece of technology or something that sells itself. We're selling our people and our um, intellectual capital, quite frankly. So if our people and their families aren't taken care of, our clients aren't going to be taken care of either. So I'll stop there, Graham, because I know you have a series of questions. But the foundation there is purpose-driven, people-driven. And it's a 57-year-old company that started with one man that we are just perpetuating uh, kind of his thoughts and his vision and building upon it. He would tell you today that there's no way MJ is where it is if he still had his hands on the steering wheel, so to speak. But what he won't tell you is he laid that foundation for us to build upon. And I think we're just trying to carry that forward and be good stewards of that. Yeah, I should have referenced at the onset of the call Michael Bill's contributions as well. I I still remember that dinner we all had at the Meridian and I could not have imagined a Syracuse stalwart coming <laughs> this far to, to loving Butler. And, and we've really enjoyed the relationship building with, with him as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Grandma won't forget a basketball game that we were sitting beside Dean Stanford. And I think President Daco was in front of us. And I can't remember if it was Xavier. It wasn't Xavier, it might've been Villanova. Um, but I look over and he's going nuts. I mean, just a raving Butler fan. And, and he, he can get after it from a, from a passion perspective. And I look over there and he's, you know, he's grabbing Dean Stanford and shaking him by the shoulders, getting all excited. And 
what in the world is going on? <laughs> I, I remember that because I was sitting in front of him and I think I caught an elbow. Yeah. Um, we, uh, yeah. We really enjoyed that. Yeah. So, um, so first question I want to ask is going back to, let's say, March, mid-March, mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit and you're the leader of MJ and you're reading all the news like all of us, but you're, you're head of this, you know, 81st largest corporation in the insurance sector, brokerage sector, what immediately comes to mind? Maybe not necessarily business planning, but okay, I this is going to be a big deal for my employees. There's going to be a lot of fear. There's going to be a lot of anxiety. Take us through first week or two in yeah. terms of your mindset. Um, that's when schools were shutting down and still not understanding. And we said, hey, we're going to go home. And, and we caught some flack for going home because this, you know, at that time, it's not any worse than the flu. So every, everything you guys already know. And we said, we'll be home for three weeks. We'll see you in three weeks. And, you know, watching it and watching it, watching it. So March the 13th was a Friday. Um, we hired a CIO who is a proud Butler alum that we hired by virtue of uh, a project through the BBCG, quite frankly. Um, and um, I looked at Chad and I go, okay, Monday morning, we open up, oh, can we do it? And he goes, we have to do it. Um, so I think so, but I can't give you any guarantees. And so everybody's home, Monday morning goes off without a hitch. So that was the first piece of anxiety is can we do business and can our people do their jobs? Uh, that was quickly answered yes. Um, and on, I say this all the time, the IT folks in, in any organization today, from, I shouldn't say that, most organizations today are getting the credit they finally deserve, um, is, is certainly ours are. Um, and so then it quickly transitioned to your point, Graham, is oh my gosh, this is gonna be a while. Are our people okay? Can they, can they do what they need to do? Can they attend to their school-aged children? Can they, are, their, are their spouses' jobs okay? And we launched really quickly into um, some, in some communication right off the bat. Zoom, we're on a Zoom call every week. Mike Bill, who's our CEO, and, and he sits in Phoenix. I'm the president and COO. We both just sit on, in there on a weekly call and just start talking, right? No agenda. And just here's what's on our minds. And all we were talking about is wanting to make sure you, our employees are okay. We need to create and make sure people feel safe and vulnerable to go, no, I'm not okay, right? Either I'm sick or my kids are home and I can't do this. And that was really early on, not knowing the duration of this, but that's, I don't want to say exclusively, but almost exclusively what consumed our thoughts and our intentions and our actions were, are our people okay, right? In creating the forum to go, if you're not, whatever that is, I don't have the tools to work. I don't have um, uh, the time. I have kids at home. I can't work during core hours. Just making sure that there's complete open and transparent communication as whatever you need, bring it up. And I think that set the stage for what thus far has been, um, albeit difficult, a really, um, I think we advanced our culture throughout this, believe it or not, I think is what people would say to us. As hard as it's been, our culture improved beyond what I would deem an already really good culture. Thank you for that. One of the things I think we've been really fortunate here at Butler is we have had tremendous leadership during this stretch. I uh, cite Jonathan here on the call, Jim Danko, 
And one of the things I've been impressed with is how they've projected confidence and belief, but also have shown their vulnerability as well. Can you can you speak to that with you and your leadership team of because I know and I, I won't get into details. I mean another reason I admire you, you've you've gone through a personal tough stretch yourself with some family situations. You've got two kids, you know, a lot going on, but how did you project that strength, but then also show to your team, hey, I'm human too. I'm, I'm going through this as well. Um, I think, Graham, that's probably the most um, significant uh, part of it for me and kind of the aha for me um, throughout this from a leadership perspective was there's no time right now to act like a superhuman that, you know, there's never let them see you sweat kind of mentality. Um, again, Mike and I just started speaking from the heart, not only through the pandemic, but then the events of the George Floyd events happened. Um, and that created yet another um, um, opportunity, I would say, for us to demonstrate our vulnerability. And we just spoke from the heart and, and on both on all this stuff. And three weeks in, I can recall, and we have all of our, we call them weekly check-ins uh, recorded. So I'll go back from time to time, just to kind of to your point, how, what were we thinking about along the way through all this? Because I, I on as, as hard as it's been and as tragic it's been in some cases, it's really fascinating to watch what's happened socially, um, emotionally, business-wise, it's really fascinating and trying to log all the events. So we, we, Mike and I just spoke openly and I, and I admitted to the organization, I said, I'm really struggling right now. I thought this is gonna be three weeks. This is gonna be three months, six months, I don't know. I'm struggling, I miss everybody and I'm struggling to get into a productive routine here. And Mike and I just kind of had a little bit of a back and forth in front of everybody. And the response that we, and kind of, that wasn't intentional, that was just raw. And the response that we got from that was, oh my gosh, me too. Thank you for saying that because I feel the same way. I didn't know if it's okay for me to feel that way. So I, I can't think of any other characteristic or um, um, element of courage that you can demonstrate other than vulnerability to let people know, hey, I, I'm not immune to this and I'm struggling too. And then the events of um, in, in Minneapolis, George Floyd, we got on and said the same thing. We, we didn't know what to say. So we spoke from the heart. We spoke from our perspective as white men, right? In an industry that's labeled as male, pale, and stale. Um, so that was yet another element that, and we're doing a ton of things along those lines, which, which is, I was on a panel with uh, Gamma, uh, Gamma chapter for the Davie School the other night talking about that, but just so much emotion on so many levels, notwithstanding the election, notwithstanding the UNI, notwithstanding pandemic, notwithstanding economic volatility, so much coming at us at once. There was no time to be anything other than vulnerable, right? Admit, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about this or that, or I'm, and I'm also vulnerable in the sense that I, I'm experiencing things different than others experiencing things. And just being wide open about that, when it could go on and on. But the vulnerability piece, Graham, is, is huge for us. Thanks for sharing that. I was going to save this question for down the, down the road, but if I can follow up on the racial and political time we're in. We've done a lot here in our division. We've done a book study. We've done, we've had really frank conversations. 
the political strife is unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, you have a lot of anger on both sides. Fortunately, we've not had, you know, a lot of hardcore arguments, disagreements in this division, but I've seen them in other areas. Have you, have you gone further in terms of addressing those with MJ in terms of any specific conversations, Zoom calls? Just be curious what all you have done because that this does have an impact on culture, right? What, what yeah. we're doing here. Along the lines of politics or along the lines of the, the civil unrest? I'd say both. If you, yeah. in the yeah. political, it's probably a lot harder to get into, but yeah, there's some yeah. overlap there. That is, uh, the, on the, the civil unrest piece, as I mentioned, I think a week after the George Floyd is, is situation, we were on video and speaking very passionately from the heart as to what that meant to us individually, and then what we were committing to as an organization very quickly, right? Again, our entire industry is labeled the male, pale, stale industry, and with good reason, statistically speaking, everybody looks like me, right? And so what we did initially was it was said, listen, we don't tolerate it, we don't condone it, we never will condone it, and we have a lot of work to do ourselves um, within the four walls of MJ of, you know, we it, just all the conversations were, we're not, we've always said, I'm not racist. That's not me, I'm not racist. Um, and, we're, and, and I'm not, right? The, 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 the ability to go one step further, several steps further and go, I'm anti-racist and here's what that looks like and means. And I'm anti-discriminatory of any underrepresented, marginalized, identifiable group in any way, shape or form. So what we committed to right then and there was we're going to learn, we're going to learn a ton, we're going to learn with empathy, and we're going to listen a lot right now. And we're committing to helping the community, helping our own uh, organization, and helping our families um, along these lines. So what that what that culminated in, at least thus far, is we have hired a consultant who is awesome. I mean, the guy's name is Daryl Jones. He was 20 plus years uh, at Nike in Oregon, um, ultimately led their DE&I programs and initiatives, PhD um, in, um, I can't remember the exact degree that he got. It was, it was along the lines of, of uh, diversity and, and racism, et cetera. Um, and he's part of us now, and he's part of us in terms of creating the intentional and deliberate um, work that we're doing to when we look back on it and say, does MJ embrace and is MJ a diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization? The answer is unequivocally, absolutely yes. And so working towards creating those experiences ourselves to where the belief of that, the experiences generates the beliefs, the beliefs generate the actions and the actions generate the results. We're creating those experiences today. In an industry, which we've heretofore said, we embrace it, we just can't, we can't get the applicants on any of these groups to step up and go, yeah, I wanna be in the insurance industry. It's hard enough in general terms, you know, with 2% of the college kids and millennials being interested in our industry, let alone that's, ex that's exponentially more difficult along the lines of, of all of the other racial, gender, religious, um, groups that don't identify with the insurance industry. 
So a ton of work. We could speak for two more hours just on that alone. And it's something that it was, you know, um, I've done a ton of work and I continue to do a ton of work with people of color, with, with people from the LGBTQ plus community, um, women, um, and just trying to learn and understand. And it's one of those wake up aha conversations. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life in terms of understanding what it means to be a white man. That was the aha for me to go. I've never had to think about that. But that's really, I sit here and said, what does it mean to be a white man? And, you know, Graham mentioned from the onset, have had some tough times family-wise growing up and, and even into adulthood to the point I didn't consider myself privileged, you know, and pardon me, but I busted my ass to get where I am, right? And to tell me I'm not privileged, to tell me I'm privileged, that didn't set well with me for a while. But that's what I admit now, all right? I'm privileged. I'm a white man. I'm privileged. And that completely changed the focus for me personally. And I believe it's had a large impact on the organization, changing the focus of an organization in an industry that is driven by white men. So again, could go on forever. I'm not sure I even answered your question, but I, I get- No, you did. I, I love the candor here too. I want to go to communication and yeah. we, we reference Zoom. And I think Zoom fatigue is a, mm -hmm. I'm actually fatigued by the term Zoom fatigue. Mm -hmm. That's how far, that's how far along I am in this thing. But I think one of the challenges with culture right now is we're obviously not in the same spaces. Mm -hmm. We're not getting together for social gatherings, grabbing a beer, meetings we're not even in. How, how have you navigated maintaining your culture in, the, in this environment? And then I have one other question. And, you know, I admired the heck of them, uh, the heck out of them, but Michael M. Bill, in terms of being versed in Zoom, he may very well be, um, but don't tell him I, I mentioned this. Uh, but, how, you know, I know you, you and Michael M. are really tight. How have you kept that communication coming down from the very top? So there's, I guess, two questions there. Yeah, it's hard, right? It's you're, you're, to your point. Yeah. Zoom zombies or Zoom fatigue, whatever terminology you want to label everybody with. Now we all experiencing it. And it's it's still it's it's kind of a way of life. Uh, if you want to maintain that connectedness or togetherness, um, what we miss the most are the chance encounters, the water cooler talk, whatever you want to call it, where you're bumping into people. So you have to be deliberate about those collisions now and not just look at those for, you know, happenstance or, you know, I luckily bounced up, you know, ran into somebody going to the restroom, whatever the case may be. So there's, again, we mentioned we're on weekly. Um, people have told Mike and I, which is just kind of a, uh, uh, a little bit of a criticism. I've seen you more now through COVID once a week on video than I've seen you in person. And I'm like, yeah, that, thanks for that. And sorry about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of both of those things. And um, so, yeah, it's very intentional. And then it's just the one-on-one -on -one personal touches. So Mike and I also do uh, what we call town halls. It's, it's three to six people um, throughout the entire organization. And we rotate those and just listen, what's going on, right? And 90% of the time, we're not talking about anything about MJ. It's how are you as, an, as a human being? How are you doing? How your family's doing? And oftentimes we'll find we're just, you know, talking about anything and everything, just having a good time. You know, almost you forget your own Zoom. Um, and then really encouraging the individual conversations between leader subordinate and peer-to-peer. -peer. 
and doing everything we can. I'll tell you our, our, we call it our, our learning and development team, which is led by our chief people officer recruiting HR and then um, kind of employee relations. And they have done so many cool things, whether it be through teams or whether it be through, I think we had, um, what was it? The work from home awards or something like that. You know, and I think I won the, I'm not at home today, but I've got hard dark wood cabinetry behind me in my office at home. And I won the Ron Burgundy award because it looked like the, the Ron Burgundy office. And uh, so my wife is now getting quotes to paint our office um, so that I can no longer be referred to as the Ron Burgundy office, but just stuff like that to have fun. Fun is one of our, one of our six core values. And we've, we've tried to do that any way we can virtually. We're sending stuff home. We're sending, you know, um, food home. We're sending puzzles home. We're doing everything that we can just to maintain that connectiveness and that togetherness. But it's really, really, really hard. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we've, we've got five generations in our workplace. So the technological issues, you know, one of our, one of our um, producers or sales guys who've been here for 45 years, I think in the last couple of weeks, he's finally figured out how to show up to Zoom meeting right side up and not upside down, which is a huge win, right? <laughs> and then Michael M, to your point, Michael M is now 84. Um, and he, he gives it the old college try showing up technology, but he's like this half of the time. And, you know, can you hear me kind of thing? And which once again, just brings a lot of fun to the equation, um, not at his expense, um, but it, it's, it's, we're doing everything we can, Graham, just not any different than we're doing today, right? And I just got to wonder, you know, are we sitting here having this conversation, but for COVID? Good stuff. I want to talk about mental health and physical health, which I know has always been at the forefront for you. Again, I remember when we first met six, seven years ago, you talked, I think that you gave employees a sabbatical to pursue maybe a personal passion or project, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, not really a sabbatical, but certainly yeah. give them time. Um, right. I wouldn't go so far as to say they can go, you know, spend, you know, six months with a Tibetan monk out West or anything, but um, certainly encourage and support any way we can, but, but keep going with your question. I don't want to. Yeah, sorry to exaggerate. I was trying to give you. You exaggerated uh, my value too, but that's okay. Um, so, you know, as this is dragged out, I think further, much further than a lot of us anticipated, mental health, physical health, mental health, I know is straining the majority of our population. You may have people not taking care of themselves. What, what has MJ done to continue to emphasize those important goals? Yeah, a ton. So we have an executive team meeting every Monday. And we talk about those two things every Monday. How are people doing mentally? How are they doing physically? Um, and what else can we be doing? And so we've done a ton of stuff. Now, granted, we're in, you know, 50% of our business is in employee benefits consulting, which a heavy part, heavy part of that is wellness and physical, mental, any financial wellness. And we're, we're doing all those things, whether it's, um, and, in, and just yesterday we approved a, mental health counselor, an on-call mental health counselor for all of our people and just to talk, right? And I need it. I need it from time to time to go, and I'm stuck in a rut. And how do I portray myself to your point from people are watching me. Um, and if, if I'm stuck, 
uh, am, I, am I going to exacerbate that or perpetuate that to our folks? Um, not, not intentionally. So there are, we've got a ton of online resources. We've got, like I said, we, we just approved the mental health counselor on call. Um, from a physical perspective, we're big in the wellness aspects of things um, in terms of incentives and awards. And um, um, we have an on-site clinic that we've had for a long time. It's near site now. It's not on-site. So people can go in um, with a wellness coach and work specifically with a wellness coach on their own goals. But it's encouragement. And I think the physical activity part of it is so important to the mental health that those are not those are not mutually exclusive. Those are interrelated. So um, if you want to talk about completing the stress cycle, the very first thing you need to do is engage in physical activity every day. So we talk a lot about that. Um, and I think that's one thing if you ask our staff to go at, at does MJ care, care about me as a human being? It's unequivocally yes. They might criticize some other things that we do, you know, they, whether they got promoted or they didn't, or whether their, their, their workload's too much or it's not. Um, but do they care about me as a human being first? The answer is unequivocally yes. So again, could go on and provide anybody that has any, any more um, interest or needs in that part of it. I will overwhelm you with information and things that you can do from a physical, mental well-being standpoint. And then the financial well-being side of it too, we attacked that pretty early. Um, brought in, brought in uh, third-party consultants, brought in retirement planners, brought in, you know, what do I do right now? Do I take all of my money out of my 401k and park it on the sidelines? What if my husband or my wife is out of, job, out of work right now? Do I can't continue to contribute to my 401k? And just sheer panic at the beginning of it from a financial perspective. So we had those same people um, and still do have them on call uh, to be able to answer financial well-being questions. And that, I think, delves into the next question that I had, which we have a lot of fear in this, so many fears right now during this day and age in terms of the pandemic, first and foremost, but again, racial discourse, political discourse, but then you add on top the potential fear of employees thinking, you know, I, I may be laid off next week. My job could be gone. I think one of the things I've really appreciated about Jim Danko is he's tried to be, he's tried to articulate assurance, but he's also been very candid that these things can happen. And unfortunately they did over the summer. Mm -hmm. What has your communication strategy been in terms of being honest and upfront while also giving a message of encouragement. Yeah, that was really hard in March, right? Because you didn't know, right? And so the, we have always considered ourselves a transparent organization. We are exponentially more transparent now um, as a result of that and, and, and tried not to create fear um, before we before, if we even needed to, but we call it defining reality. And we've had that kind of as a, as a, as a mantra, not the right word, but as a core principle of ours from a leadership perspective is don't surprise people. Don't tell, don't tell people it's good when it's not. Don't tell, don't tell people it's bad when it's really not that bad. It's define reality and convey that and communicate that crystal clear. 
And so every month we tell people how we're doing financially. We tell people what our forecast looks like. And we did scenario analysis in, gosh, that would have been probably two weeks into it of, okay, what do we do if we're down 20%, if we're up 5%, you know, trying to think in a worst case, best case, and then a few scenarios. And then what levers do we pull if it goes bad? And we told people, here's what that looks like. And people in, in reducing force is about number seven in a worst case scenario issue, because here's the things that we will prioritize first, travel and entertainment, all the other frills and, and nice to haves, but not must haves. Must haves are our people. So to your point, and I've heard, I've heard President Danko say so many things, and I agree with you, the leadership has been fantastic, of, especially in, in higher ed right now, right? Under a tremendous amount of stress. And being able to kind of, you know, um, whatever political figure you want, um, I, I'm not um, revealing my political uh, persuasion, but I'll never forget George Bush when 9-11, you know, when he stood up on, on that rubble and, and, and while not being known as the most articulate man in the world, that was awesome, right? And I, I kind of see that with a lot of people right now, not to compare what we're going through today to 9-11, but in the time of crisis, Maintaining your composure, defining reality, and communicating with absolute transparency is, in our view, um, the only way to go about it. And we've, we've endeavored to do just that. Um, and we do it. We talk about our big wins, right? We also talk about our big losses. Fortunately, we haven't had many of those, but when we do have them, we say, here, we lost. And here's what we lost, and here's why we lost, and here's what we learned from it. And we're endeavoring to never repeat that. And it's okay. We're going to be okay as a result of it. Um, but we're going to learn from it kind of thing. So again, a bit tangential from your question, but hopefully that answers it. Absolutely. I'm going to ask two last questions and then we'll open up to the staff here. And these are more of a personal, again, nature of your journey here. I think most of us, despite we're still busy, but we may have had a little extra time. And I know personal growth is, is a big deal for you in terms of always getting better, reading? Have you had some time to do that in, in any books or anything you'd advise for us as we think about our growth? And then have you, I think there've been, again, none of us want to go through this, but there've been some silver linings for me, at least. I know you travel a lot. I've not, I don't travel as much as you, but I travel a fair amount. And, you know, the silver lining has been spending a lot more time with my family. I don't know if my wife, it's been a silver lining for her, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed uh, my time. But have you, can you comment on those about, you know, you can look at this two ways. You can spend all day watching CNN or Fox, or you can try to use the time to better yourself and look for the silver lining. Yeah. Can you comment on that for us, John? Yeah, great question. Appreciate you asking it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, if I was at home, you would see my bookshelf behind me and a gazillion books and, and just so you know, I was a math undergrad degree and uh, MBA finance at Butler and I never read a book, not one, um, until I got out of college and now I can't stop. Um, so it drives my wife crazy because Amazon shows up every other day with six books and I haven't read the first 10 that are still stacked on my desk yet. But um, so a number of things hit. Um, obviously the, the civil unrest, I can't read enough about that right now. I'm fascinated. So my dad was a history teacher in high school. So therefore I did not come close to history. I didn't want to take his class. I wanted to stay as far away as I can as history. So 
I'm not a history buff. I'm becoming one, especially as out along the racial lines. Uh, so I've read a ton of stuff there from how to be an anti-racist, to bias, to, to um, uh, uh, listen to the 1619 podcast, to a ton of stuff there that's, that's I'm, 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 I'm both fascinated by it and it pisses me off beyond belief, but um, as, to, as to how things transpired the way that they did. I'm also reading um, along similar lines a book right now called Good Guys. Um, it's, it's a book that is, is about uh, the, 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 uh, the obligation of a man in the workplace to advocate for women in the workplace. I've got two daughters. Um, I would hope that I would have the same drive and desire if I had two boys. Um, but needless to say, that's a little bit of a personal inspiration for me, as well as um, our, our, our industry is dominated in non-executive roles um, by women. In turn, and so we work exclusively with women. And then um, I, I just ordered a book called Burnout, and it's about completing the stress cycle. And it's written by two twin sisters. Um, and I'm going to butcher up exactly what their professions are. Um, but I heard them on a Brene Brown podcast. And it's just really fascinating about how they go through processing stress and the controllables and uncontrollables. So a little bit of a more of a self-help journey right now. Um, Graham, to be honest with you, in terms of trying to learn as much as I can about what's going on, right? And then I have, I find myself reading, trying to read as much as I can about the Spanish flu from 1918 and just the similarities of what we're dealing with today. It's, it's fascinating. I don't know that I, I my wife's got a medical background and she interprets 90% of what I'm trying to, trying to, to read and talk about. I go, okay, do I have this straight? She goes, no, that's not right at all, but okay, perfect. Right. So that's from the that's from the personal growth and learning side of it. it it's just trying to, um, um, I guess, learn current events, but the history behind the current events uh, more so than anything, and seeing how we can apply those going forward. In terms of the silver lining, I agree with you. Right. So there's there's, uh, I, for all of you who don't know, I've got a I've got a 19 year old girl who's at Indiana University. I complete transparency. I pushed hard for Butler. Just wasn't her deal. Um, I use not a bad second for me and my wife went there as well. Um, and then I've got a 16 year old sophomore uh, in high school. Um, and so both of them are travel athletes. And so we're all over the place and nonstop. And there's like three weekends a year where we're not playing soccer or running track or whatever the case may be. Um, we haven't done that. This weekend was the first weekend. We went up to Rochester Hills, Michigan for the first weekend. Um, Got beat 10 nothing and 6 nothing, so it was a little bit of a tough trip. But um, we haven't done that since, gosh, late, early, late, late February, uh, believe it or not. Um, and there's parts of that I miss and parts of that I don't. But what it did do was hunker us down, just like everybody else. It hungered, we hunkered down with the family. Um, my daughter came home from college. Um, so that was, she missed little five and everything, and spring break and everything. It went along with the fun down in Bloomington. But... I got to tell you, it wasn't it wasn't bad for us to be able to spend the amount of time that we did with her and her family. Um, so certainly silver linings in that regard, silver linings in terms of sitting around the dinner table. You know, I'm 50 years old. Um, that was pretty important growing up, you know, and, and the way we were raised was you're going to sit down, you're going to shut up, you're going to take your head off and you're going to go wash your face before you sit down at the dinner table. And we're going to have conversation. Right. Um, that doesn't happen in today's world, but that's happened through this. And I have really, really, really enjoyed that 
learned a lot about my kids. And I think my kids have learned a lot about us and our, my wife and I and our upbringing and, you know, what life used to be like, um, you know, before technology, if you will. So I could go on and on about that. I think there's a ton of silver lightings. I really do. Um, and um, I think there's, there's opportunity coming out of it that, that um, I think is sometimes hard to stop and recognize and be aware of. We've got about 15 minutes left. I'm going to open it up to the staff uh, for questions for John. John, before time gets away from us, I just I want to thank you for your time and um, thanks for your candor as well. And um, much of what you shared affirms, I think, some of what we aspire to from a culture standpoint here in advancement and across the university. But you, I think in some ways, certainly I've, I've got an age and a half full of notes. You've um, challenged us to think about some things that we've probably been missing or, or maybe not fully leaning into. So just thanks for your time and Graham, thanks for helping facilitate this. Thanks you. Thank you, John. And I appreciate that. I have a quick question for you. Um, it, it, we're probably, we're still in the middle of this. So this isn't a full answer probably that you would even be able to come up with right now, but um, you've obviously been pretty focused at MJ on culture and probably have had a certain sense of urgency around it for some time. Now that we're in the middle of this, I guess, is there anything that you've learned about the required sense of urgency in making that a priority? And is there anything that you think that you, you'll take out of this, knowing that we never know what might happen next and when you have to, when, when you least expect it, have to tap into that bank of building a strong culture because you didn't know this was coming, right? I think it's a great question. Something we, we what we said early on was, because obviously been people driven and, and purpose driven. We identified our purpose statement in 2012 and truly live. I mean, it, it's, it's not just, you know, words on a wall. In fact, we don't even have it on the wall. You'll see it all over our collateral material, but um, it's, it drives decision-making. It's what do we do and what do we don't do as a result of that purpose. You know, if it doesn't lead to the success, fulfillment and well-being of each person we serve, then why are we doing it? And, and we have we have really lived by that. We're imperfect, right? And we have we have we do Gallup Q12 surveys. We survey the daylights out of our people just to make sure that we understand what they're dealing with. And we have room for improvement every year. And we'll continue to do that in a perpetuity. But what we said really quickly was, thank goodness that we have that foundation to rely on. And can't imagine for their, for everybody's got a culture, right? Culture's habits. I can't imagine those firms that haven't been intentional about that and just kind of let culture happen. And without any foundation to fall back on right now, I, I hurt for those people because to your point, Dean, trying to construct that, you know, trying to, trying to, to, to build the building when the foundation's on fire is pretty tough, um, if not impossible. So I think hopefully what we what comes out of it is another positive byproduct is if you didn't put that number one on your list, uh, for us, it validated how important culture is, right? Because if you think about it, there's, there's a really good book called Change the Culture, Change the Game. And it, and it argues that your culture is the combination of your experiences that lead to beliefs, that lead to actions, that lead to results. That whole thing is your culture. And when you're not getting the results that you need, 
you need to change you need to change the experience that change the belief that changes the action so that's a cultural transformation we believe wholeheartedly in that so the experiences that we have been intentional about over the years gave us this default belief system from our folks that we could rely upon in times like this to say hey our fundamental belief is this is that we're people first we care about each other we're going to be here to support each other no matter what because here's the experiences that we've had to get there if you're trying to create those experiences now you can do it but it's going to take tremendous amount of effort um, and it's going to take some time for that belief system to transition so hopefully people will walk out of this saying okay there's nothing more important than being intentional about those experiences that create the desired culture that we want that generates the results that we want right so has it been a sense of urgency yeah have we have we enhanced parts of it yes our communication is fantastic now and if you would look at our q12 surveys from probably 2015 16 we were we, we didn't get very high scores on our communication capabilities today it's off the charts fantastic and that was a sense of urgency piece to go we can't we cannot fail on communication right now i don't care if we have to to sacrifice other areas that we can't get to we have to win on communication right now in complete clarity so does that answer your question dean yeah no that's that's great really interesting appreciate it uh mine's just it's kind of more personal but aside from potentially winning more soccer games on the weekends or seeing more people is there something you're looking forward to the most once we kind of get back to a quote unquote normal life that's a really i haven't been asked that question and what i would say you already took my answer out of out of out of uh, realm of possibility in terms of just being around people um man oh man going to sporting events you know not just soccer games but we're huge football fans my my daughters and i go on a daddy daughter football trip wherever they want to go around the country every year and and i miss that bad right so we sit there and watch college game day and um they're two girls but um my oldest daughter will be able to break down film with you and tell you why um you know the line the linebacker didn't pursue through his through the b gap in time kind of thing um but yeah i miss that like crazy um you know my, like i said my dad was a football coach born in west texas and his infinite wisdom moved us to basketball country in southern indiana um but that's how i'd answer that question it, it, it would circle around you know, going to big time sporting events is a huge hobby of ours. This is probably not an official question, but if you could maybe give me advice at some point of how to transition my daughters wanting to go to Disney on ice to college <laughs> football games, I'd appreciate it. Any other um, other questions for John here? Patty? Yeah, John, um, do you sense that the, um, the culture is as strong in the Phoenix location as it is here? Yeah, great question, right? So that that has so many different aspects to it. So we started Phoenix in 2005. We 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 started it from ground up. Now Michael H. Bill, Michael, our founder's son, who is our current CEO, Michael M. Bill and his mother divorced when they when they had their four children when they were young. So they grew up for the most part in Phoenix, went to grade school, high school. Mike went to University of Arizona, um, and then moved back here for 16 years before moving back to Arizona and kind of building that up there. So there's cultural transplant, you know, from the very top to be able to say, here's what's important to us. But yet we still had to build it person by person. We had one person, Andy Veter, who runs our uh, executive vice president of employee benefits side of the house. 
moved out there for a couple of years and really got that going. So able to transplant, you know, who we are and what we're about, but you still had to recruit that and build that. And today, demographically, it's very different. Um, it's, it's a, we have 35 people out there today where we have about 140 here. And um, it's the, the age, the, the, it's a much younger population um, out there. Um, and it's a um, um, culturally and racially diverse population out there, have a, a significant Latino population out there, which when we talk about the DE&I um, work that we're doing, it's different here than it is there. Equally as important, but tactically going to be different because the culture's somewhat different. And here's what we say about that. I think that's a really important distinction is we wrestled with it. Me, again, I got a math degree and I got a finance degree. So everything is linear and methodical and there's, there's a formula to life kind of thing. Well, unfortunately that's not the case for me, but so I had some rigidity to that, to say our cultures have to be identical. They have to be identical here as they are in Arizona. And that was a big learning for me to go, no, they don't. You have an MJ culture, and then you have microcultures that support the MJ culture, but they're nuanced or individualistic into that environment. We have a different benefits culture than we have a property and casualty culture, and we're perfectly okay with that so long as they don't violate the overall MJ culture. So yeah, it, it's, it, there's some differences there. Um, if you think about culture here, we have five generations in the workplace in the Indianapolis office. The, the power of a multi-generational workforce is there, and there's complexity and problems as a result of that. That doesn't exist in Arizona. You know, there's two generations in the workplace out there, not five. So just differences, not to say one's better or worse, just different. Great question. Probably have time for one more. Anybody else has a question? John, you mentioned the, the water cooler conversation um, being one of the things most missed. I, I think I missed that for sure. What strategies have perhaps you, you or your team members employed to create those in kind of this digital environment? Because I, I think of someone like Max Harper, who was on this call, who was literally in our office one month as a new employee before COVID hit and his entire um, kind of impression of Butler um, has come from a digital space. And so um, I just uh, am curious kind of how you have approached that. Yeah, great question. There's, there's two aspects of it is the water cooler for the existing folks is, you know, early on social happy hours and uh, they, got, they got pretty wild, right? So you'd have people show up in whatever costume and send out recipes on drinks that you're gonna make and all this other stuff that just created that social aspect of it, which started to splinter um, into just individual conversations. We implemented Microsoft Teams in the midst of it. We hadn't gone that way yet. Um, and so the, the feedback that we get there is nobody talks on the phone anymore. You gotta talk on video. So everyone's hitting the Microsoft Teams video and just, hey, what's up, <laughs> right? And you're like, well, I'm busy, but good to see you. Sorry, I've got my hat on backwards right now, but it's, it's one of those things that you just encourage that, but at the same time, there's a productivity drag from it a little bit, right? And so you gotta be, gotta be cognizant of it. We certainly encourage just the one-on-one, -on -one, create those chance encounters and create those collisions, if you will. And I'm doing a lot of it. You know, I schedule a lot of my time just calling people and checking in on them. Hey, what's up? I haven't seen you for a while. How you been? How are the kids? So on and so forth. It's 10 minutes, right? 
which sometimes leads to, hey, now that I got you, I've got 10 questions. Or two emails later, hey, it was great to see you. Let's do that again, that kind of thing. So that's one of them. The other thing, and maybe, maybe Max, to, 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 to your benefit, we've hired 17 people during this. And we stopped. We had offers out when it hit, and we stopped because we didn't think we could onboard them, to your point. And culture is such an important part of what we do. We didn't think we could integrate them into our culture virtually. We've learned how to do that. Right. We just hired a new person in Phoenix who's reporting directly to me. I've never met her face to face ever. Right. And we have a virtual relationship and um, done everything that we can to involve her in that culture. Um, and here's what's important. Here's 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 what we do. Hey, I'm going to jump on a call, you know, a social call with three other people who want to join. Yeah, I'd love to. Hey, I'm introducing them to Leanne. Right. So. It's the intentionality, I think, is what has increased, Mark, to your question. And it's sometimes it feels forced or hokey. And then we're getting demands from, you know, our suppliers and our clients just to, to do the same thing. So your days are filled with Zoom meetings. Um, but we're, we're unapologetic about wanting to see each other. I think that's the, that's the part just to go, hey, I don't have an agenda. What's up? <laughs> right? That's my agenda. How are you? Um, and I think you just got to be intentional about it. We're at time, John, before I make some closing remarks, are you okay with, if we share this recording with our team and maybe some Absolutely. of our colleagues over at Lacey School? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I just want to thank you. I just think, um, again, this reiterates why in my 15 years, you're one of the most impressive leaders I've seen. And, and MJ's got one of the strongest cultures I've seen. I don't think it's a coincidence that your numbers have not sagged, that you're doing really well. Um, Jonathan has a saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think MJ embodies that, but I also really appreciate just all you've done for Butler, the Bill family. Uh, we take a lot of pride in our relationship with MJ, with you. We anticipate that going on for a long time. And so I speak on behalf of our division for, for taking time out today. No, I, I can't, again, I want to deflect that quite frankly, right back to you guys. Um, like I said before, there's, there's so fortunate to have uh, made the decision to, to go to Butler and um, you just, you, you can't explain it. Uh, you can't explain it to my kids. You can't explain it to, to people who don't go there. Um, you know, when you're in, in the airport in Seattle and you've got a Butler gear on and somebody says, go dogs, that's, it's just different. Right. Uh, and it's, it's um, so a lot of what we do is just out of pure, and I mean, it is, is literal as I can mean it, pure love for the university and um, for the people that it puts out and the people that work for it and advance its cause. Can't, can't thank you guys enough for a lot of the inspiration of what we do. We appreciate it, John. If there's anything Butler or we can do here to support what you're doing at MJ, uh, let us know, and we look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully sooner than later. Awesome. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Lazy School of Business podcast channel. Be sure to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.